I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Hafsa and welcome to the Mind Pretty Soul podcast where I get to talk about that which gives you peace of mind, keeps you looking pretty and the things that make your soul sing with incredible women that inspire me. I know that times are really tough right now when with the constant bombardment of news, it isn't really easy for us to not let things get us down, but that's exactly why I couldn't do an episode that ignored the current situation at hand. I invited my cousin Sahra Kathia a Minnesotan who's been on the ground in Minneapolis documenting the protests. And I invited her to talk about her experiences, but to also touch on self-care at a time like this. We talk about the concept of self-care as it has essentially been coined for a time like this, where people are literally just trying to survive in the face of an oppressive system. To quote an article on Slate by Aisha Harris, which I will share in the show notes, Women and people of colour viewed controlling their health as a corrective to the failures of a white patriarchal medical system to properly tend to their needs. Self-care was a claiming of autonomy over the body as a political act against institutional, technocratic, very racist and sexist medicine. Self-care is essentially made for these times. By taking care of yourself, being present within your body and giving the body what it needs... That in and of itself is a radical act taking into account the systems that Aisha Harris makes reference to. There's no better time to refer to Audre Lorde than now, who said, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it is self-preservation, and that is an act of political warfare. Now, I couldn't agree more. Right now, when people are protesting, or even if you aren't protesting, but you are at home and you're really beaten down by what's happening in the world, to actually decide that no, in the face of these things that are trying to beat me down, I'm going to actually get up, 
go for a walk or exercise or giving myself a massage, making myself a nice meal, it really resonates with me and I'm sure it resonates with you and the Slate article is really worth reading. Now for my own self-care, what have I been doing? For my mind, I've been going on very long walks which help me in two instances. One, to clear my mind when I'm in a funk or two, to complete those walks just feeling like I'm on top of the world. I went on a really long walk today and walked for just over 25,000 steps, which I think is around 19 kilometers, which is a lot. And I walked through Primrose Hill, Regent's Park, through Baker Street, Marble Arch, which was eerily quiet for a Friday afternoon in central London. And then I walked through to Hyde Park, Kensington Gardens, spotted some parrots, fed them, and sat by the pond and really had a nice catch up with my friend at a social distance and then walked all the way back home. And the feeling that gives you cannot be replicated. Now, in terms of beauty, I've been putting makeup on again. Initially, when the quarantine first happened, I rejoiced at the prospect of not having to wear makeup every day. And I really took that full on in my stride, but I've been filling in my brows embracing them now that they're more on the fluffier side. So I've been filling them in with my favourite brow pencil by NYX, the micro brow pencil in black. Then I've been dabbing on a bit of concealer. So my favourite concealer is the NARS Creamy Concealer. You only need a little bit of it and then you just buff it and a little bit goes a very long way. Then I move on to eyeliner and then use what I think is my favourite eyeliner in years, the Marc Jacobs Highliner Gel Eye Crayon Eyeliner, I believe that's the name. And it's amazing. I use that in black and I absolutely recommend it. It glides perfectly and then it can be smudged when you first apply it. And then after that, it just doesn't budge for hours. And then I finish off my eyes with a sweep of Kevin O'Quan's Volume Mascara, which makes you look like you have false eyelashes on. So if you're after that look, I'd absolutely recommend. Then for my cheeks, I've been using Max Sweeter Than Cocoa Blush. It's a beautiful cocoa-y type of blush, but then it has like like really nice fine specks of shimmer as well. Makes you glow. And then I finish off the look with a little bit of Lipstick Queen's Medieval Lipstick. A beautiful sheer wash of red that works on absolutely all skin tones. I mean, it's not a lot of makeup, but it's just enough to make me feel all dressed up and cute. Then for my soul, I've been learning things that I've been really curious about for a while. For example, I've always wanted to create Instagram filters, so I've taken a course on Udemy with step-by-step tutorials. I'll share my link on the show notes. And I've just been making a few filters, including a cutesy one with chamomiles across the face for my other page. It's a very Coachella festival type of floral makeup look. And I've done that for my other page, Dish Your Herbs, where I share recipes that incorporate herbal medicine with my friend Nirvana Safa, who's a medical herbalist and a naturopathic practitioner. And I've also been brushing up on my photography, which I've been taking in my stride. And today's guest, Sahra, is also a photographer. She's been really helping me a lot when it comes to my photography. She helped me to be able to purchase my first ever DSLR camera, gave me her advice and her tips and really vetted out a few cameras for me. So I really appreciate her. And I'm confident that you'll be appreciating her today after what she has to say. She is in a very unique situation in the sense that she's incredibly passionate about her community and her work in Minneapolis is felt. She's been documenting everything, sharing what's going on with the world. The world is seeing what's going on in Minneapolis through her eyes, through her camera, essentially. I'm really looking forward to you listening to her and 
and hearing what she has to say. Let's move on to the episode. In this episode, I have a very special guest with me, my cousin Sahara Kahia, who is joining me all the way from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Aside from just being my cousin, Sahara is an incredibly talented photographer. Some of my favorite photos have actually been taken from her and she has a great eye and captures her subjects beautifully. We've traveled to many cities together, New York, Paris, Barcelona, and we also traveled around the south of Spain last year, which was a great time. Sahara is truly the perfect travel companion. And despite her being all the way across the pond, thanks to social media, it's like we're never far from one another. The reason I invited Sahara today is because she's a Minnesotan and was on the front line documenting the protests in Minneapolis following the death of George Floyd. These protests have catalyzed others to take a stand across the world. And we're now seeing protests in countries including France, the UK and Italy. Sahara's photos of the protests have been seen far and wide. And I'm proud to know someone contributing to history and the documenting of such an important world event so welcome to the show Sahara hi Hafsa thank you for having me on you're so welcome it's really good to have you on the show and I know that we usually talk pretty much every day about like what's been going on in Minneapolis and your experiences on the ground and as Mm -hmm. someone who was taking photos and someone also who was taking a stand but I guess it's a bit of an adjustment speaking on a, on an actual podcast. I mean, I know yeah. loads about you, but the listeners, tell us more. Well, um, I have been a Minnesotan pretty much my entire life. Um, I briefly left to upstate New York for grad school um, and then came back. So, you know, Minneapolis is home, specifically exactly where the protests kind of broke out is where I grew up. So it's just been really interesting seeing, you know, all the all the changes that's been going on the past couple of weeks here in Minneapolis. Um, I'm a photographer. I'm also a social worker. And I've just, you know, been living here all those years. <laughs> I love Minnesota just as a whole and Minneapolis as well. I've been there before and I actually when I was there, you were living in New York. I remember so I came to visit you in New York after I'd been to Minneapolis but I love I love Minneapolis I think it's such a different city it's just the state in general of Minnesota is so different to other places that I visited in the states in the sense that we both were Somali of course and it has a huge Somali community the community in Minnesota in general are very welcoming people and also the aura of the city and and the state I really enjoyed my time there your character attests to the fact that people from Minnesota they're generally nice aren't they Yes, definitely. Um, although uh, the the term Minnesota nice has been under blast a lot the past two weeks. <laughs> um, it's yeah. like everybody's saying um, it's Minnesota not so nice, but yeah. <laughs> because where do you think that stems from, the, the term Minnesota nice? Is it that everywhere else is so harsh or what? Well, I think the culture of um, Minnesotans have been one of like surface level niceness, where like they'll be super polite, but you never know exactly where you stand. And I think that's why a lot of people have been calling out the term Minnesota nice recently. (laughs) Yeah. And what were your experiences um, growing up in Minnesota in general? What was it like growing up in Minnesota? So I think my experiences growing up has been kind of outside of the norm, just because I went to a Islamic private school for 
majority of my schooling. So from like second grade all the way up to like graduating from high school. So I was, you know, in a in a sense, I, I think there was a bit of sheltering that happened in which I wasn't exposed to the general population. Although, you know, I'm not going to say that there wasn't, you know, racial biases and stuff that I faced growing up. And like, I did, I had my fair share of coming into contact with um, racism in America in general. But, you know, there was still a bit of sheltering that happened because the fact that I was going to an Islamic school that had a majority um, people of color population. So and then now being kind of, I guess, in the in the general population of Minnesota, Mm -hmm. kind of integrating with everybody else, I guess that's an adjustment in and of itself once you left school. Oh, definitely. Um, I started PSEO, which is a program that allows you to go to um, colleges and universities full time while you're still in high school. So I did that my 11th and 12th grade year. And I went to the University of Minnesota, which if anybody knows, the University of Minnesota is massive. So it was, it was a bit of culture shock for me to just come come from like a very, you know, small um, school to um, entering into this big institution. So I think my experiences from then to adulthood um, and until present day has been very different from my childhood. And what's the, what kind of diversity is there in Minnesota? I know that there's a huge Somali community there, but is there any other ethnic diversity in Minnesota? Oh, 100%. Yeah, there's a big representation of most of the East African nations. So um, a lot of Ethiopians, a lot of Oromos, a lot of um, Kenyans. Um, there's a big population of Hmongs. Um, we have a big population of general like West African countries. So like Liberians, Ghanaians, Nigerians. Um, so yeah, I think, um, and it, it depends on where you are in Minnesota, but you'll see pockets of diversity because most cultures and, and, and countries have kind of like immigrants have kind of settled in specific areas of Minnesota. Cool. Um, so yeah, yeah, there is, there is diversity here. And as you know, Minnesota is, you know, home to the biggest Somali population. Outside yeah, I, when I went there, it was a huge shock to me in the sense that I hadn't gone to Somalia yet. and. Mm-hmm. It almost felt like I was in Somalia in some way, which yeah. was really cool because I'd gone to the malls like Carmel Mall, 24 Mall, um, even just walking around in the street. And it was so cool to see a lot of the people looking like you and mm-hmm. speaking the same language as you do. And and I'd never seen anything like it. I mean, growing up in London, it's an incredibly diverse city, but it's nothing like Minneapolis. And so just walking around Minneapolis, it felt so cool. And I really liked that the people there were really proudly American, but at the same time, they're really proudly Somali as well. And they were really, they really embraced those two identities together. And they're really proud of being both. And it was so interesting. And they really made a name for themselves in in Minneapolis. And and yeah, it was such such a cool experience being there. 100%. I think the unique thing about Somalis in Minnesota is that we have integrated so well into like almost every aspect of Minnesota society that you can see Somalis anywhere. Like, I mean, obviously, like in most public institutions and stuff like that, they're, you know, they're either um, working there or they attend schools or they're in uh, places of government. They, you know, even with Ilhan Omar. So I think Somalis are very represented in Minnesota. A lot of us had come as refugees Um, a lot of Somalis are in the US or the UK as refugees and the trauma of all of that and despite everything that's happened being really integrated into the society like you said whether it's 
government to schooling to everything it's amazing it's it really shows that it's a community that's really grasping this new country I guess naturally with all of the attention being on Minneapolis at the moment what's Mm -hmm. been going on actually on the ground as someone who's actually there what's been happening and how did it start really it's been two and a half weeks now since um, the passing of George Floyd. Um, and I can just maybe take you back a little bit um, and give you kind of a rough timeline of what had happened um, within that two and a half weeks. It was the evening of May 25th when um, George Floyd had actually died in police custody. He, just a, a rough background of how the arrest had happened. Um, he was coming out of a local corner store called Cup Foods, um, not to be confused with Cub Foods, which is a, a chain, a grocery store <laughs> that is in the area. But um, yeah, so he was coming out of Cup Foods and I guess there had been issues that happened with a um, fraudulent bill and the police was then called by one of the employees of Cup Foods. And then the police arrive, you know, that that, fa- that video that has been, you know, everywhere you see um the officer kneeling on George Floyd's neck for about, you know, for a good eight minutes or so. Yeah. Um, And then which he dies in police custody. And then I think the video doesn't circulate until the the next day. Um, So initially the report that the officers gave had any of the the things that had actually really happened and was shown in the video was not recorded in the actual police report Um, and the video. And then things have just was escalated so quickly. I think the very next day, um, you know, I think Minneapolis, I'm grateful personally to have such an amazing police chief. I think the way he moved so quickly and, you know, removing those officers, firing them was unprecedented. I think in a lot of these police brutality cases, it takes years to even see a police officer fired. They're usually put on administrative leave and they're paid through all of this while these families are grieving and, you know, looking for justice for their loved ones. So I think the very next day, um, the chief had fired all four police officers. There was four police officers involved, although there was one that was physically restraining him, um, George Floyd with his knees. There were three others that were just standing by. So at that point, all four police officers were fired. And I think immediately, the very next day of the killing protests started out. And it escalated to violence even on that first day of protests. So, you know, you see, um, I think Tuesday was the next day. Tuesday evening, there were a few protesters that had broken into... So let's take it back. So the protest started at the site of um, the killing, right? So on 38th in Chicago, right in front of Cup Foods, there was a crowd that gathered and they mobilized really quickly. By like early afternoon, they were already there, right? Um, So there was a few speeches that happened. And mind you, we're just coming out of this coronavirus situation here in Minnesota. Minnesota's slowly loosening public restrictions. So to see that many people in one space wasn't like it's not something we'd experienced for about two months yeah so um there was a gathering and then the deal the plan was to go from cup foods and walk all the way to the precinct the third precinct where the four police officers were deployed from right um and it's a quite a walk it's really it's a definitely a few miles i don't know exactly how long the walk is but you know, and then the amount of people that mobilized so quickly was was crazy to see. And, you know, for the most part, the, the protests were pretty peaceful up until evening happened right around sunset. 
um, where a couple of people broke into the private parking lot at the third precinct where the cops' personal cars were. Um, and then, you know, people started vandalizing vehicles. And that was the first time that we've seen police intervention in terms of like tear gassing and moving crowds away from the third precinct in which they established a stronghold at that point, protecting the precinct. Yeah. You'll see like a few days later, um, that, you know, protesters took over the precinct and, and you know, in a, such a symbolic way, the precinct was burned through most of the night. I think after the third night of protests is when the, the protesters officially took control of the precinct. And I think this is like literally one of the first times in like like years that an actual police precinct was burned. Wow. So it, it was quite noteworthy and newsworthy then that this had happened. Very, very. Because the, the first two days of protest, police made it a point to to um, have a stronghold in the precinct, right? So they put snipers on the roofs, um, the whole like, so while other places were being looted, the police focused most of their attention on making sure the precinct was safe and still in their control. So it was yeah. very interesting to see that shift. At some point, they were just like, hey, you know, it's not worth it you took some really chilling photos that really did a good job of really showing everything that was happening on the ground and just looking at your photos it really allowed everybody to see what was going on and they rightly went viral across the internet so for you when did you kind of decide to take photos and to kind of document what was going on I wasn't present for the the first protest that occurred right after his passing I started going out the next day um, on Tuesday after. So this is so, you know, his his passing was on the 25th. So this is the 26th. And that's when I started. I think initially everybody was just kind of hesitant just because, you know, obviously there's the fear of fears of COVID-19 and being in contact with so many people. Um, I think the very next day is when I just decided, hey, you know, this is and it started like the start of the story started picking up steam and you you really see that it's not just you know yet another hashtag yet another you know young black man killed by the hands of police this it was starting to feel very different so I think I went out that afternoon and and that was the evening in which the police precinct had started to burn and I spent I was up from like two, two in the afternoon up until like almost three, four in the morning the very next day, just documenting, um, just walking around, trying to gauge people's emotions and just trying to capture it in however way I can. Yeah. So that's kind of when I joined. And I think since then till now, I think I still like make it a point to go out and just capture a few things every day. Things are still happening. Protests are still being planned. People are still going out there in small pockets in different parts of of the city or places they find significance to. I think there's always a large crowd of people at the memorial in front of 38th in Chicago where where George Floyd passed away. So Minnesota is very well still part of the struggle, still fighting the good fight. (laughs) What's interesting is, like you said, that this felt very different. And unfortunately, we've seen across the news, black men dying at the hands of police and people campaigning. But this was essentially a catalyst to some kind of seismic change in some aspects. But I do hope is a change that we can maintain for a long time and actually has real changes and and consequences, whether it's in legislation, when it comes to companies, you're seeing now 
movements across the world people are protesting in London and you you have statues of former slave owners for example being um, removed in East London and Bristol and so on you've got people protesting in France you have people protesting in Italy as well as that you also have now companies are doing the black square on Instagram to show that they understand and that they stand with black people across the world but companies are being held to account you're also seeing former employees of certain companies saying actually no you have companies that are being exposed for um, unfortunate racism within their buildings mm-hmm. and within their offices you said it's different it is absolutely different and I was speaking to a friend of mine today and we were just catching up and he was also saying that yeah this is also a big change going on in his company and to think that the unfortunate passing of George Floyd has triggered such a huge change it's bittersweet Mm -hmm. in some in some respects yeah I think his daughter coined it perfectly when you know you have you seen that video it just every time I look at it I just cry um where she's kind of on her uncle's shoulders and she says ah yes the world and I think that's she said it so perfectly I mean his death was a spark that just kind of like pushed people to talk about the topic of racism whether it's in America or it's in the UK or in other parts of um, the world although we are you know removed from the days of slavery it's just taken on a new name and a new form and it's you know it's less less obvious as it was back in those days right absolutely yeah and I think a lot of people um you see people who were uncomfortable with talking about race relations and stuff like that, who are now, you know, forced to really take a hard look at either themselves or if they own an, organi- if they own an organization, look at their company policies. Um, and that kind of like systemic conversations that are happening um, are more important, I think, for me than just, you know, obviously so you, you see the power of social media and you see the power of, of, you know, people mobilizing. But I think long-term change is in legislation. It's in systematic overhauls it's in those sweeping policy changes that happens that that you know that are put in place to make sure that situations like these are not repeated four five seven eight ten twenty years from now definitely and uh, I think that's why speaking with your vote or taking to the streets and protesting saying look we're not happy about what's going on really using your voice as loudly as possible sometimes you do feel powerless in the sense that you're thinking well this has been happening for years for years now we hear yet another black person dying at mm-hmm. the hands of the police we hear of people like Sandra Bland we hear of Breonna Taylor we hear of people like Mark Duggan in the UK and so you do feel powerless you think well what's the point it's not going to change but I feel that I'm optimistic enough to see that perhaps change will come eventually if we keep pushing Yeah. And I think specifically, although, you know, federal changes is important, people disregard local elections, right? Because it's up to these states, at least in the case of the United States, it's up to these states to put in policies, right? No matter how much the federal policies exist, state legislators are also an important part of this. And a lot of these state elections go on, like, people that are not really involved in these local state elections. The voter turnouts in local state elections are just drastically smaller than, you know, say people who turn out for national presidential elections. So it's important, you know, yes, we continue to fight the good fight to go out there to protest, to have our voices heard, but it's also important to have, you know, people of color specifically go out, register to vote and participate in these local elections as well. That's a really good point, because I know that for some, um, they're not able to go out to protest, there is still the pandemic going on. Mm -hmm. And so 
for some people, for myself, for example, unfortunately, I'm I'm not able to protest because I do live with people that are at risk. Yeah. If they were to contract COVID, it might have more um, consequences than yeah. me, for example. And I want nothing more than to go out to protest. But yeah. just for the sake of protecting the people that I live with, I haven't gone out to protest. However, I've been really diligent about looking for ways to be able to protest without going out to protest. So, um other ways perhaps writing to my MP there was a lady called Belly Majinga unfortunately she passed away because someone had spat at her in the height of the pandemic and she worked at a train station in London and unfortunately she died and so a lot of people have been protesting about that I was really diligent about writing a letter to the Prime Minister to Sadiq Khan the Mayor of London and others have also gone out to protest for her including her husband and other people there are ways that we can all spread our efforts across the board and I think that's also important to take into account we can protest we can vote we can write letters to our local MPs we can write letters to whoever is in charge there are other ways we can also vote with our money and not reward companies that are known to be racist or have problematic views or not doing much about taking a stance on racism and decide actually we're not going to spend our money with you now we're going to take our money elsewhere and that's also really interesting because a lot of companies have been rightly exposed Mm -hmm. for toxic work cultures for example or the way they've responded to the situation I was just talking to some other friends of mine today Mm -hmm. and in the UK we have Yorkshire Tea and PG Mm -hmm. and someone had tweeted them and said oh I'm really glad that Yorkshire Tea hasn't taken a stance on Black Lives Matter for example and Yorkshire Tea said something like well we haven't responded because we're still really figuring out how we're going to respond to this however don't buy from us or something like that if you are a racist and then they said well great I'm going to spend my money on PG Tips which is a competitor of theirs and PG Tips responded to their tweet and said boycott us too because we're against racism and it's amazing you're seeing companies for what they are You know, you're seeing companies for how they've responded to this situation. You're seeing companies that haven't responded. You've also got companies spanning the beauty industry to pull up with their stats of how many black people are in their corporate team. And even like the the Blackout Squares was originally a silent protest for people in the music industry, right? To like, to to remain silent and listen to black voices and black artists. And I think people took that and projected it to the entire movement or the entire protest process um which is why you know you've heard the situation where people were using the hashtag blm and subsequently blacking out all the information that the movements and the the organizers were putting out for people to like protest in their local communities so yeah there's a lot of different organizations and and just a lot of different people who are either you're seeing them either step up to the plate and say hey you know this is not right and that we need to speak out against you know racism and 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 racial um inequality in the u.s or or just in general in the world or you're seeing people who are buckling down and not saying anything and i think you know i was really disappointed to find out that canon which is you know as a photographer you're either a Canon person or you're a Nikon person or you're a Sony person, right? <laughs> and yeah. Canon has been, you know, what I've sworn by for all these years. And it was sad to see that, you know, they didn't release anything until literally eight hours ago today. So, oh, wow. Yeah, that was very disappointing for me. I think Sony was the only of the three major um, companies for like photographers and for, you know, visual arts and stuff that actually made a statement. And I guess as a black photographer yourself, 
you want to look at a brand and think, do they value me? You want to know that they value not only your money and that you are a customer of theirs, but they value your life, you know, mm-hmm. and that, okay, I want to only spend my money with companies that value my life, you know, and that take a stance. It's not an issue of politics. I think a lot of people were silent on this for so long because they thought perhaps this was a political issue and that let's not get involved in politics rather than looking at it as a political issue this is it's a humanitarian issue that needs to be addressed and so I think now a lot of brands have been they've been shaken up I guess and they've had to really they've had to pick themselves up from the ground and realize that okay this is not on we cannot be silent on this we have to take a stance on this because the same way that we've had many other crises in history Again, this is going to be one that will go down in history books. We need to take a stance. And those who didn't take a stance and those who weren't vocal about it, unfortunately, they will be immortalized as well as people that didn't take a stance. And if you're silent, unfortunately for me, in my eyes, if you're silent on an issue like that, then to me, it sounds as if you accept it. And perhaps it's not their intention to to accept this. I want to give a lot of companies or people or public figures the benefit of the doubt and think that they don't agree with what's happening to black people in the world or or any other humanitarian crises in the world. But if you do decide to be silent, then people will naturally interpret that as accepting it or not caring about that. Yeah, I mean, you see those protesters chanting silence is violence, right? So you're essentially agreeing with um, the violence that's happening to people of color across the world. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting that you brought that up because I've been asking myself this question a lot in the past weeks, but the question of why why now, you know, what made this so different? Because we've all been present for, you know, you named a few, Breonna Taylor, Ahmed Arbery recently, um, even going all the way back to Trayvon Martin. We've all witnessed police brutality cases, going public, people going out into these streets and protesting. But I always, like, I keep asking myself, what made George Floyd's case so different? And Very interesting question. Yeah, it's noticeably different. Like, you can't even deny what different times we are in right now, right? This, These are historical times. You know, recently, I remember thinking about my reactions to watching the video. And I feel like, I feel like maybe... For me personally, what made this unbearable, right? What made me say, hey, I'm going to go out and use whatever platform, you know, whatever small platform that I have to bring awareness to this cause. And in my case, it was photography and, and putting out images that showed a true representation of what the Minneapolis protests actually looked like. Because at that time, the media immediately latched on to focusing on the violent parts of the protests. And not that, you know, obviously not that we all condone violence, but anger didn't happen in a vacuum. And people's emotions really cannot be policed. And how those emotions show up are, shouldn't be the, the main focus of what the media Um, talks about right like the main issue behind this was issues of racism police brutality and police disproportionately killing black young black men in the streets so I think for me it was personally like this is I I sat down and I thought you know how can I how can I best help with pushing this movement forward and obviously um, besides 
you know, going out to the streets and protesting and volunteering and helping with these um, neighborhood cleanups and stuff like that. The most effective way that I could help in this was to make sure that I put out images that showed a, a full picture of what was going on in Minneapolis, which means, you know, showing the violence, but but also showing all the peaceful protests that happened, you know, all the, the silent sit-ins in front of the government center, all of the solidarity and, and the fact that, you know, it was, it was such a diverse group of people that came out into these streets and protested. So I think for me, what really mobilized me was that video. Because a lot of these videos that were released, if you were a very twisted human being, you could sit there, sit there and justify the police's violent actions. You could say, oh, you know, they it was a toy gun, but it looked like a real gun. Or in the case of Breonna Taylor, they had the wrong address. But for this, it was just, there was no, there was no excuse. There's literally no way you could twist this and say George Floyd was, was already in handcuffs. He was already on the ground. This man sat on his neck for almost seven or eight minutes. I don't know exactly how long. I couldn't finish the video, honestly. Same. It, it was so horrifying for me. I just had to um, click off of it. But I think it was like, were they saying eight minutes or nine minutes? Something around that time. And just the way that police officer... Like, his appearance was so relaxed, like he wasn't, you know, he wasn't taking the life of a human being just inches below him. He just didn't care, hands in his pocket. I'm just so lost for words. It was just basically the police department or these police officers showing people that they really did not care about Black lives. That killing a Black man was just another day for him, where he could just sit there, hands in his pocket, and just be relaxed. I couldn't watch that video either. I tried and it ruined my day. And I can't even believe I'm saying it ruined my day because the fact that there's so much privilege in being able to say that when someone else's life has been taken away. Yeah. But just watching that video, you're right. There is no way that even the most twisted person can manipulate this video and distort it. If we couldn't continue watching it, then imagine it through his lens, you know, of unfortunately yeah. going through that, or the people that were actually witnessing it and recording it. I remember Will Smith saying something like, racism and brutality oh. i'm kind of paraphrasing what he said it's not that it's happening more it's just being documented yes more. these things have happened way before the advent of smartphones it's just that unfortunately we're able to see it firsthand now police brutality has been going on even as far back as nixon's era even further back than that this whole law and order thing and militarizing the police force has been something that has been happening in this country for years much before cell phones and, and and footages of and even body cams on police um, officers have been leaked yeah i want to get into the topic of documenting incidents like this a lot of people have been saying watching these videos mm -hmm. it traumatizes us and it's dehumanizing although we need to see what's happening mm -hmm. this never mm -hmm. would have happened if we weren't able to see the video yeah. but there is that question of Watching these videos, what does it do to us? I'm sure a lot of people are really dealing with the consequences of seeing videos like this or hearing about racism constantly. I think it's really beating a lot of us down. It's just tough constantly feeling like you have to fight your whole life. And then on top of that, seeing someone who looks exactly like you dying mm -hmm. at the hands of police and then having to speak to colleagues about something that's happening now and educating them about racism and then people on social media saying that racism doesn't exist or you have the media you you're kind of battling from different angles and it can be so exhausting on your spirit 
And so I'm wondering, how are you, how are you dealing with it? You are actually firsthand, you've been at the protest, you've witnessed what's going on. How are you doing? Man, um, I think the first week was the hardest for me. I dealt with a lot of internal issues. Um, I do want to talk a little bit before I talk about how I felt with the death of George Floyd, because it wasn't an Arab Muslim business that he was killed in front of the ones who called the cops. There was a lot of issues about the Muslim community and their involvement with race um, and race relations. um, And people were starting to call out issues within, you know, within our own Muslim community. And that was something that I struggled with a lot. You know, there was a lot of things that I had to deal with internally and think about what role did I have to play in this whole general conversation of race in in America. Because you have those uncomfortable moments where um, someone will say something and, you know, sometimes there will be moments where I pause and think about, hey, you know, should I even bother correcting these people? Um, And I felt like that was, you know, being silent about those type of moments was in a way me agreeing to whatever that person or those conversations um, were saying. So it was very hard for me. I had to do a lot of internal looking within myself and and figuring out how how I'm going to change moving forward and how I'm going to be more vocal about the plight of Black Lives Mattering to everybody. So that was that. Um, And just in general, it it was a very difficult time. I think I felt guilty if I wasn't out there, um, and if I wasn't either helping or documenting or protesting. So the first week for me was very sleepless. <laughs> like I would literally be out late into the night. And then, um, you know, I mean, a lot of these like volunteer things, a little backstory, when all the destruction happened, you saw community organization happening and like people mobilizing and and coming together to clean the streets um, of Minneapolis, specifically Lake Street, where most of the damages happen. Um, So in the mornings, people will go out and and it was and it happened very spontaneously. Like it wasn't like, you know, there wasn't Facebook groups created or stuff. People literally just showed up the next day after the burnings with brooms, with trash bags and just started cleaning up which, you know, is, is such a beautiful thing to see, um, specifically being from South Minneapolis. There are people who drove from Woodbury, Maple Grove, White Bear, like places that are 20, 30, 40 minutes away and came just to help the community clean up and build. You see a lot of these GoFundMe pages popped up fairly quickly to help small businesses rebuild. So although there is a lot of hurt and a lot of issues within the community, there was also, um, you see evidence of a lot of love and support and just of coming together. So for me, I wanted to truly just document that and also document the protests. The first week I was literally just everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It wasn't until like, I think just recently that I was like, okay, I need to take a break and that it's okay to take a break and to, to recharge because you know, this is not, I I, I don't know where I got this from. I think it was some random, um, somebody said it on on social media or something but it's not a race it's a marathon so you know we're in this for the long haul and it's very important to take care of your mental health and just to take a break so I've been trying to just kind of disconnect a little bit and not to mention the amount of social media wars I was engaged in in the last week and a half <laughs> <laughs> you know you don't have to and I have to tell myself you don't have to respond to every idiot that says you know some some dumb stuff so yeah it's just been you know it's been really tough but Going back to what you said about being in online battles with racists, I Mm -hmm. took a stance a very long time ago to Mm -hmm. avoid the YouTube comments in certain videos, 
certain websites and certain newspapers or under tweets of certain publications or whatever just for the Mm -hmm. sake of my own peace of mind because I know that as long as time goes on racism will be a thing I think I just or I hope not at least I hope it doesn't continue for that long but you will always find yeah you will always find people with the most problematic most disgusting views ever and when we see them you just you want to fight back and I really want to but I used to sometimes engage with them years ago and then I just thought you know what for the sake of my own sanity I'm just going to opt out because I think those are like the cesspits of evil for my own mind I've decided to mute certain words but yeah again at the same time I can't help but think there is an underlying privilege there when I talk about things like muting or deciding to opt out because the other day I came across two videos so I woke up early in the morning and I haven't been so disciplined lately about what I do when I wake up in the morning. I pick up my phone and then just scroll through my Instagram or my Twitter and WhatsApp and stuff mindlessly. And I came across a couple of videos on Twitter, one of a group of Somali girls in Minnesota being made to get out of their car by the police. Um, I don't really want to describe it too much in case it triggers anyone, but unfortunately we've kind of had guns pointed at them that really hurt me that really made me incredibly anxious and then I saw another time where a man being kind of pushed away by the police thing again I'm not going to go into that but just watching those videos just made me so anxious and they were just playing in my head and then it just made me feel very numb I watch those videos and I see these men and I think to myself that could be my brother that could be my my dad that can be Like you watch those videos and think that could be anybody, you know, that can be your partner, that can be your brother, that can be your friend, that can be your husband. You really take that on very personally. And naturally, there is an important discussion to be had about how can we look after ourselves in the middle of all of this going on? Because to me, it seems like it's going to be a long battle of really fighting for our rights, making sure that across the board that we are equal and that Mm -hmm. our humanity is taken into account. But whilst we're doing that, we need to take care of ourselves because I think the concept of self-care in and of itself is a radical concept. Self-care originated from activists who had to take care of themselves in the midst of them being marginalised people. For example, Audrey Lorde was a queer black woman. And so when you think about all of these things, self-care is imperative at a time like this. Self-care originated because of times like this. We need to find ways to preserve ourselves, let alone to flourish in society we need it just so we can survive you know 100% and I think the people who have been on the ground who have been protesting have witnessed police brutality firsthand when you're growing up you see these images of like Ferguson and these these riots the LA riots and stuff like that and it was crazy for me how similar things played out in Minneapolis from the days that led like death of George Floyd literally it was like we, we were just transplanted during those times and now we're in the LA riots because the same situations happened and the police sadly responded in the same way by yeah. pepper spraying yeah. people in the crowd and you know when when I personally witnessed that firsthand and things like that happened to me I realized for the past couple of days anytime that I heard loud noises I like I, I remember telling my sister that I was sitting in my living room and I think somebody was like banged something on the floor was it like a pot fell or something and and I heard it and literally my heart raced and I was ready to get up and run because I just assumed it wow. was the rubber bullets or the and it's just it's put you in this heightened sense of awareness coming from the protest and then going back home and having to unwind and not being able to there was nights where I stayed up until 
five or six in the morning just scrolling because I just couldn't unplug from coming from the, these streets and then now you're home because we live a little further away from Minneapolis, thankfully. So, you know, I have friends who live in Minneapolis who said that all night they hear sirens and, and police through loudspeakers telling protests to disband and to go home. And they're always in that situation where I'm thankfully able to, you know, drive 20, 30 minutes outside of Minneapolis and, and go home. And my neighborhood is fairly quiet, but I think it's important that anybody who's been directly involved in these protests to to really think about seeking mental health, whether it's, you know, finding a therapist or someone is to, um, to sit down and talk to you about these situations that they've seen firsthand, because you've literally been put in a war zone of some sort, right? So absolutely, people could be experiencing PTSD from these protests and stuff like that. So just take care, you know, taking care of our, our mental health and and if you need to take a break and not go out and protest for a day or two, like, you know, I keep telling myself that um, that it's fine. It's OK. You don't have to feel guilty because if you're healthy and you're able to pick up that baton again and continue on the next day or two, that's more important than you burning out and then just like never being able to help again ever. As well as that, it's about the collective as well. I've been reading up a lot about self-care, not just necessarily being this individualistic pursuit, rather we're taking care of the collective. Just because I haven't been subject to police brutality, it doesn't mean that I take a seat and I don't do anything about it. We take care of each other by standing up for one another and we have to look after each other. We have to help each other heal and we have to support one another. I'm seeing other our other family members in the States as well going out, buying food for people, sending out groceries to people. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's about caring for the collective and that's an act of self-care, but for others, you know, it, it helps yourself, mm-hmm. but it's also helping others. And in turn, by helping others, you end up helping yourself as well. Even like on a smaller scale, I realized that when we were at the protest, sometimes you literally can go the whole day without eating. And then you'll see somebody who's like having a box of chips and passing it around to the crowd. And just those little acts, as trivial as they may seem, like bringing food along with you or like just bringing bottled water for protesters. Those little acts made such a big difference when you're on the ground. You're not really thinking about yourself and you're just on the go, 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 really. To have people to say, hey, you know, let's let's take care of these protesters as they're dealing with everything. That that was Definitely. so important. And is there anything that you're doing yourself? Like you said, unfortunately, like loud sounds and things don't necessarily bring out the best reaction in you. Is there anything that you're doing to look after yourself as well and other people that you might encounter? Just making sure that I take a day off and then jump back in the next day. So that day I can just reset. And, and on top of that, you know, we, we all have personal lives and jobs and, you know, things that we need to take care of. So I think finding that balance has helped me a lot in my activism and in also in dealing with my day-to-day responsibilities that I have as a sister and as a, <laughs> as a worker who, and, you know, and as a photographer who has other clients waiting for me to give their photos to. So <laughs> finding that balance. I've sent out a lot of emails like, hey, I know it's been a while. <laughs> I'm really sorry you haven't gotten your photos. I've just been really occupied right now. So just finding that balance. I got sucked into it all. And, you know, in the first week or two, it was such a shocking thing that, like, I didn't have time to, to deal with any other thing, any other aspect in my life. But, um, yeah, I've just kind of disconnecting, just staggering that um, involvement in the in the protests and really just not being on social media a lot 
after a certain amount of time, just relaxing. I think um, the gyms are opening up again. So I'm super excited to like go to the steam room and just de-stress that way. So yeah, that's kind of been what I've been doing. Oh, I can't wait to go back to the gym. I haven't been working out at home much and I've tried, but it's not working and yeah, it's not even it's that structure that you need when you exactly. go to the gym. it's not even a vain type of thing it's not even for vanity at this point it's more for your mind because mm-hmm. at times like this I really would have been able to appreciate going to a gym the structure of it waking up in the morning or at the end of the day going to the gym getting changed working out pu- like really pushing my body and mm-hmm. getting those endorphins going you know and yeah whether it's taking a walk or doing weightlifting if you if you're lucky enough to have weights at home um, I know I haven't really been able to find anything more than 10 kilos so whether (laughs) it's anything like that do it do it do it do it because not only are we going through a really unprecedented time I know it's very cliche to say that but we are going through an unprecedented no yeah I mean this is protests. yeah absolutely we are also in the middle of a a health pandemic as well there are so many things happening at once to varying degrees people are really going through it so whatever we can grasp onto in order to stay sane and as healthy as possible do it whether it's talking to a friend whether it's working out whether it's painting whether it's relaxing whether it's actually saying screw social media screw my phone altogether I'm going to put it to the side I'm up to my ears and stress I'm going to take a break from my phone whatever it takes to to get back to your center and to do what you need to do whilst also taking care of the society around you do it Mm -hmm. by all means and I also wanted to add that um we have all been out and in contact with people and I think everybody kind of in the midst of this racial crisis we've forgot that we are in the middle of a health crisis as well um I got tested yesterday I think it's super important that we all get tested if you've been out in the protests you've been out just get tested because the chances of you probably you know having COVID-19 is very high and you'd rather not get other people sick if you know ahead of time so mass testing literally needs to happen for especially anybody who's been in the protests the past two weeks thank you for that Sada. that's a really important note I think we've reached a really, really important discussion, Sahara, and I really appreciate you coming on today to talk about this. I've I've always been in awe of you as a person, as a professional, and now I think I've really managed to discover a new layer to you as, as not just my family, but as someone, just as an individual, Sahara, you really inspire me, and just seeing what you're doing there is, it's just making me in awe of you on a new level. (laughs) No, I appreciate you as well, honestly. I'm glad you're talking about this and that you're using your platform to push this messaging even further. Thank you for doing you and for everything that you're doing right now. Thank you, Sahara. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. So where can we find you on socials? I am Sahara Qahiyah everywhere, really. Uh, My last name is, is super weird to spell, so... I don't do you want me, do you want me to just spell it out? I don't know how you want me to do this. I'll leave it in the show notes, but you're right that it is a very interesting surname because the X in your surname is pronounced hat in Somali. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have gotten so many. Like I, I think at one point one of my teachers called said and pronounced it as uh, Quaker and I'm like how did you get Quaker out Quaker. of this like, I, I really want to know like I, did she just glance at it and was like okay <laughs> <laughs> I've had all kinds of pronunciations Kasi Kasi like everything <laughs> well thank you yeah. so much for joining me Sahara thank you so much for having me 
thank you guys for listening to this episode of Mind Pretty Soul. Don't forget to subscribe and to leave a review if you enjoyed today's show. Please don't hesitate to contact me on Mind Pretty Soul, both on Twitter and Instagram. And until the next episode, take care of yourselves and stay in the best of health. Thank you. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.